Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Namaste, yogis. Andrew Seeley here to welcome you to the Yoga Revealed podcast. Today, we drop into the heartfelt practice of Bhakti Yoga's Govindas. On this episode, Govindas reveals his early path as a yoga practitioner learning meditation from the great Ram Das and yoga from the powerful Brian Kest. Listen close as Govindas connects the dots of bhakti yoga practice and its evolution over the years. And they said, you know, Maharaji, how do we get enlightened? And he said, you get enlightened through loving everybody, through serving everybody, and through remembering God. Not through doing a warrior two really good, Learn how a devotional practice of love can truly help your yoga practice rise above on this episode of the Yoga Revealed Podcast with Govindas. Namaste, Yoga Revealed listeners. I am super excited this morning to bring you an absolutely heartfelt guest, Govindas, who will be bringing some bhakti yoga onto the lovely Yoga Revealed Podcast revealing some of his path and some of his practice and what brings him into the state of pure bhav when he's teaching. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you feeling this morning? Oh man, I'm feeling so blessed. How about you, bro? Absolutely, bro. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Definitely, man. I, I, you know, I've been really looking forward to interviewing you for quite some time. Um, when I came to your class for my birthday on January 30th, it was just so synchronistic and timing and just everything aligned and being there with Kevin Paris and just so many great people who I absolutely love were in that class. And I was like, I have got to interview Govindas. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful to meet you. And I remember that class very well as well. Mm -hmm. Anytime Kevin Paris is singing, it's a it's a great gift. Definitely, his yeah. voice is immaculate. Oh, without a doubt, <laughs> without a doubt, <laughs> totally. So, usually um, in the podcast, my goal is really to reveal the depth of yoga that was presented to you on your mm -hmm. path, and um, so I really like to start with kind of uh, where your journey began. <sighs> My journey began, well, I grew up in Maryland outside of D.C. and uh, I spent my first 22 years there. I'm 45 now. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a Jewish family that was not at all into yoga or anything hippie or new age or anything like that <laughs> like completely 
different. You know, we were really into sports. Ah, cool. Yeah, really into sports. What was like your favorite sport growing up? I was a soccer player. Number nice. one, number one was soccer. I played on lots of traveling teams my my whole youth and. Number two, very close behind, was basketball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've always just had a, a real love for NBA basketball. Mm-hmm. Even to Who's this your day. team? My team is the Lakers. Yeah. But, but I love the Clippers, too, you know? And Definitely. people always say, you can't like both of them. And I'm like, of course I can like both of them. <laughs> we live in L.A., you know? Exactly. Um, but, yeah, so... and. As I mentioned before, my son's five years old now, so I, uh, you know, I, I'm I coach his basketball team, and we watch NBA together all the time on TV. <laughs> so I'm totally reliving my my youth. That's right so now. beautiful. That's the way. <laughs> it's really fun. We're having a good time. That's good. So yeah, so I grew up in outside of DC, and you know, in a very very loving family. Um, you know, traditional. My my parents. My father was a pharmacist. My mother was like an uh, office assistant, and you know, it was very much um, in the box. You know, very in the box, and in the most beautiful of ways. And um, I, and you know, I think DC is quite a conservative place just because of the government there and east coast vibes and um, as i was growing up you know as i mentioned sports was like number one and um but i i remember i look back now and i remember i always had this connection to the power of the mind like before soccer games I didn't even know what it was I would visualize the night before when I was going to sleep I would like visualize myself playing the game and like scoring a goal or a winning goal and that would happen the next day mm-hmm. you know and now I you know I've come to learn that a lot of professional athletes are actually using you know focusing exercises visualization exercises mm-hmm. to help them you know, perform in their in their sports, and so from that point, I I you know I I understood the power of the mind, the power of you know as Patanjali talks about the ability to focus your mind in one direction over an extended period of time. So I I got that at a very young age. Where I got that, I have no idea. <laughs> it was like grace. I have no nobody taught me that. You know, I. Um, and as well, I had a love for music also. My mom tried to get me to play music and made me take piano lessons and this and that, but I couldn't be still enough. I just had to be out on the court or on mm-hmm. the field. I, I just couldn't sit in front of the piano for long enough. I had too much energy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I just wanted to be running and playing and... So I didn't stick with it that long, but I just, I always had a deep love and connection for music and, um, and in relation to, you know, like sacred music, which I just have this memory of as well, too. You know, I grew up Jewish and, you know, I had a bar mitzvah and mm-hmm. I really just, oh, I never really appreciated it. And, you know, my parents made me go to synagogue and made me go to Jewish holidays, made me go to Sunday school and made me go to Hebrew school. And I never wanted to do it. (laughs) But the one thing that I do remember is the music is when, you know, we'd be in synagogue and the cantor would sing. It would be, it just would take me right into my heart, you know, Mm -hmm. even, even remember tears as a child from the music. And I think those were the original seeds that were planted in my life for bhakti, you know, and for mm-hmm. kirtan and, and devotion. Wow. So uh, I moved. I, I went to University of Maryland in College Park. I graduated uh, with a degree in accounting. <laughs> <laughs> Still the bhakti yoga day, teacher right? with the degree in accounting. I, to this day, I don't. I have no idea how I graduated because I didn't study, and you know, <laughs> I, I have no idea. It was. It still baffles me, really. Um, but I, uh, in college, 
my first year of college was 1989 I took a stress reduction course not that I had a lot of stress but it was an easy uh, elective you know? mm-hmm. and nine weeks of the course were dedicated to meditation that's pretty awesome and so there I was at 18 and I was I was introduced to meditation for the first time and I linked that back to the story I was just telling you about being young and playing sports and you doing visualization exercises and and focusing the mind, keeping one image in, in the mind for an extended period of time. And then the meditation came and it really woke something up. And I really got into it that first semester, but after I finished that class, I didn't really think about it too much i just i really just partied a lot yeah in college that's really what i did had a good time played some soccer played played some basketball you know most of it's stone but Mm -hmm. you know it was good um and uh and then i moved to california right when i graduated in 1993 and i you know i moved to san diego and spent a couple years down in San Diego and it was a really tough time for me because I didn't know anybody and um, I had grown my whole life up on the East Coast in Maryland and felt like I knew everybody and mm-hmm. I just felt like a really small fish in a big sea, you know, and yeah. I just didn't know what I all the pressure after college of what am I going to do with my life and, and I really had no idea because the one thing I knew that I didn't want to do was go into accounting. <laughs> <laughs> So when was yoga first revealed to you? When uh, did you actually step into a yoga class and yeah. find that practice? Well, what happened is I, um, a couple years later, so I was 23 or 24, mm-hmm. I, I, yoga was first revealed to me. I, I spent a couple years in San Diego. I moved up to Los Angeles. 1995. Mm, good times. Yeah. <laughs> and I got, actually got very sick within six months of living in L.A. The smog gotcha. Well, I don't know what it was smog. Smog possibly, but I got very sick with what's called uh, ulcerative colitis, which is a form of irritable bowel disease. Mm. And, you know... My guru, he says, suffering is grace. Suffering is grace. And that's exactly what happened because the the, the, the intense difficulty health-wise that I was going through, what did it do? It brought me to the yoga mat. A friend said to me, you need to go to a yoga class. You're, this is going to be amazing for you. You know, and I and I had started meditating again after I graduated college, and I was in San Diego. I, I remembered what I had learned back in college with the meditation, and I started reading books on Eastern spirituality and mysticism and meditation. So I, I was very ripe. So when someone said you need to go to a yoga class, it was just like, yes, that's exactly what I need to do. So I went to a yoga class in Hollywood at the time. And I literally walked out of that first class just knowing that yoga was going to be my lifelong wow. healing practice. I who, just felt it. Who know? did you take class with for that first well, class? Well, this is, this is interesting. I don't really want to name any names. But <laughs> I look back to it now and it was probably the worst yoga class I've ever taken. Only because it was like this kind of fake Indian guru who wears a big shimmering turban on his head and he claims himself to be the yogi to the stars and the guru to the stars and he was mm. very sweet but it was kind of silly and it was in uh, the Park La Brea area <laughs> and uh, it was all elderly people and I was the only young person there and and uh, and it's powerful because even though I look back and see it from the vantage point now the the almost silliness of the class that something happened that that transmission mm. took place it was still yoga uh, even it was with still all... even with the whatever the, the decorations around it and it was still yoga and that something got through wow and i literally i walked out of there knowing that this was going to be you know the thing in my life that i 
used to help me, you mm. know, get through the sickness and as a lifelong practice. So immediately thereafter, was it something that became a daily practice or? Well, I stayed with that teacher for about a month or two and I kept going back and then a friend of mine said, no, no, you got to come down to Santa Monica with me. <laughs> I said, okay. And, and we get to this place on Santa Monica Boulevard between 5th and 6th Street and we're waiting in line for a half hour because the, there's a line to get into the class. and A half hour? Yep. Yeah, um, and, and this is Brian Cass' class. Oh, wow. <laughs> back in the day, he taught at the above the radio shack at a place called Dance Home. Yeah. And there was, you know, 140 people in class at the 6.30 p.m. classes, and you would have to wait outside in a big, long line that stretched past Real Food Deli to get into the class. Mm-hmm. And I took his class, and it was just like, yes. You know, here's this really cool guy just speaking Dharma, hmm. laying it down heavily. And the yoga worked for me because it was very physical and strong and athletic and sweaty and yeah. challenging. And that agreed with me on the, you know, I was an athlete my whole life. So I, I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where it really was like, oh, yeah, I see the possibility in all of this. And, and, and you know, I was just, so I started taking classes every day. I would drive to Santa Monica, and I would commonly go to two classes. I'd go to his class in the morning and then in the evening, and was really dedicating myself to doing yoga, reading as much as I could. And I got really sick. Though I, I, I was still dealing with this illness and I got really sick and I actually had to go to the hospital and I had to have blood transfusions like every day for like a week because I was what? losing so much blood. It was extremely It was that bad. Sick. Yeah, I was extremely sick. And I came out of the hospital though and it was just like a light bulb had went off like, okay. I need to completely dedicate myself to this this practice, and I am fortunate enough. My grandmother had passed just passed away. She left me a little bit of money, so I didn't have to get a job right away. And I just was doing as much yoga as I could, you know. And and Brian was was my teacher, and I just he opened up an incredible universe to me, and. Uh, you know, and then I started to um, take some classes just around town in Santa Monica. There was a great scene happening with mm-hmm. a bunch of different studios, just just like it is now, a little, little bit less than there is now, but still some great teachers around. And I was uh, introduced as well to Saul David Ray and fell in love with his style and, and uh, Shiva Ray and this was this was all again like mid nineties, ninety five. Right when things were beginning to blossom. Yeah, it was it was a really powerful time, and then uh, I believe somewhere around nineteen ninety seven, I was I just got to the hospital and and you know I was dedicating myself to yoga and I was dating a girl and she was like you need to teach yoga this is what you need to do and I was really lost because I didn't know what to do I was like I can't do that I could never do that I can't talk in front of people no way I just could never she's like no you need to do this this is this is this is it you need to do this and I started thinking about it, and basically she broke up with me. You know, she was like, "Okay, <laughs> oh, if you're not going to teach yoga, <laughs> I'm going to find me a yoga teacher." <laughs> no, it was, it was like you need to go take care of yourself, and I'm going to go take care of myself. It was a great gift she gave me. So I started to think about it. Nice. I was, I was, uh, I, I was flipping through yoga journals and yoga internationals, and saw all these teachers leading teacher trainings, and I. Found this teacher in Florida where my parents were living, and I had already been introduced to bhakti yoga and to kirtan. And this particular teacher's name is Yogi Hari, and he's he's in he's in Fort Lauderdale. He has an ashram at his house, and he comes from the Shivananda lineage. Mm-hmm. And 
he very much a bhakti background and and a big part of his teachings and for our listeners who are not familiar with bhakti can you give me an overview as to what bhakti yoga is and what what does that mean to you yes for sure this is a I had a feeling we would get into this. <laughs> uh, bhakti, bhakti is one of the, the the four main what are called margas or margs paths of yoga that um, really, you know, Krishna gave to us in the Bhagavad Gita. You know, yana yoga, the yoga of the mind and the intellect and wisdom, cultivating wisdom and um, karma yoga the yoga of selfless service and action um, raja yoga you know the kingly yoga yoga of meditation and then there's bhakti and bhakti is the path of devotion or the path of the heart or the path of love as it's commonly described and uh, you know it's 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 really about love. It's really about the heart. It's really about, you know, awakening to the recognition that love is the subatomic texture of the universe and that mm. binds and connects us all together is the web of life. And to live from the heart. And the, I guess really the, the recognition is that is, you know, We've been given this gift of life, you know, where does this gift come from? Yes, it comes from our parents, but beyond that, from source, you know, from God, whatever name you want to use for God. And uh, that gift is the most precious of all gifts. And, you know, when we want to, or when we've been given a gift, naturally, what do we want to do is we want to offer praises to that being that has given us a gift and here's okay the greatest gift is this gift of life so uh, you know bhakti is is a path of gratitude is the path of channeling your life energies into a devotional path of 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 gratitude and, and appreciation of this gift of life and you know within the path of bhakti there's many different practices to help us cultivate our devotion and our ultimately you know our intimate and loving relationship with with the divine mm. that's that's really what it's all about is the 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 practice of of union with the divine through 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 love through love and through devotional sentiments within the heart mm-hmm that's amazingly put and and so you had just now met yogi hari yes i went to yogi hari i took a teacher training with him and he was very much so rooted in bhakti he was very much rooted in bhakti and we studied a lot of the the bhagavad-gita which is one of the main texts and not only bhakti but yoga and and, uh you know Full asana as well too, and pranayama. Just very integrated approach to to yoga. And I finished the teacher training, and I started teaching my mom, and I started teaching at my parents. I was staying with my parents because they lived there, and their kind of clubhouse in their community where they lived. Mm-hmm. And a few people got me some gigs at some gyms, and down in Miami, I would go teach at a couple of yoga centers. Just went up for a couple months, and then. Uh, a friend who took Brian's classes told me, yeah, Brian, he, he called or somehow we talked on the phone. This is before texting. <laughs> he says... He called you on your house phone? Yeah, yes, he called on the house phone. Maybe <laughs> sent a letter. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> In the mail. He said... <laughs> you know, Brian wanted me to let you know that he's having a teacher training coming up in the fall. And I just felt like I needed to come back to California for that. And he was really turned me on to, you know, yoga in Mm -hmm. a whole new way and level and just really appreciated him as a being and everything that he taught and his dharmic path and the donation philosophy. And I just felt like I needed to get back to, to California. 
Mm-hmm. And so I came back and took his tra- teacher training. Um, I started teaching at a studio up in Hollywood, which is still there. It's called Earth's Power Yoga mm. I uh, on Fairfax and Melrose. And then uh, I asked Brian if whenever he had some classes available, you know, I'd love to start teaching there. And soon enough, it came. He had a Monday and a Friday morning class available and then a Tuesday and Thursday and then a couple other classes. And then I had a full, full schedule at uh, dance home, which was Brian's Power Yoga Studio at the time. Yeah, and that yeah. studio is still around. Still it's around. now yeah. Power Yoga East. Power Yoga East. Exactly. Wow, that's so amazing that there's been that much yoga yeah. that's happened in that studio since then. Oh my gosh, so much yoga, and you know, I always kind of feel like you know the, the swarms of people that would come to his class every day. I feel like you know he's really responsible so much for this turning as many people as anybody onto yoga at least mm-hmm. in, in southern california um through the years and just so much gratitude to him and the gifts not only that he's given me but that he's given so many people you know and really this vinyasa approach you know he really is a master of of the flow yeah know? he's a master of the flow and, and he he flows himself like it's almost like he's rapping when yeah, he's in class he's like tapped in yeah very much so and so I really, looking at him, I learned how to teach, you know, I saw how he was teaching. He just, just kind of channeled, you know, and that, that's what, what it always had felt right for me as well, too. It was just download as you're teaching. And so, uh, yeah, so I taught there for many years. I taught there from about 1998 or so until 2000 nine you know at the 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 studio on between fifth and sixth and then he opened up another studio on second street in santa monica and then i moved all my classes there yes hey hey man we have this new studio why don't you move all your classes to this new studio and so that's what i did Hmm. took all the classes there and and it was a really beautiful time and i'm kind of skipping one very central element and that's the bhakti element and as i was teaching at power yoga I was deepening my bhakti practices and mm. um, had absolutely fallen in love with this practice of kirtan, which is the practice of chanting, chanting mantras, chanting. It's like commonly called the heartbeat of bhakti yoga. Mm. How and did you develop those skills while still teaching that many classes? Was it something that you went to bhakti classes when well, you were teaching? There's no, or? Real, there's no real bhakti classes, you know. It was more like... Uh, reading and this kirtan and you know in the mid to late 90s 1996 through 98 kirtan started to show up at Mm. yoga studios and krishna das put out his first album and so he started coming and touring and a few times a year he would come through la and jayutal same thing and bhagavan das as well too and and uh and the first time I heard Kirtan, it was like I was hooked. I was like, that's what I want to do. That's mm-hmm. how I want to spend my life. That's, I want to sing to God. Mm-hmm. You know? And so that's what Kirtan is for anybody that's not familiar. It's, it's, it's singing to God. It's singing the praises of God, you know, singing the praises of the divine. Now in Kirtan and you know, all yoga, there is an Indian cultural slant to it because of where it comes from. So in Kirtan, we're chanting the names of the Indian gods and goddesses like Ram and Krishna and Ganesh and um, Durga and Hanuman and Sita Sita and Ram. Exactly. So, you know, I had absolutely fallen in love with Kirtan. I I bought a harmonium. No, I didn't. I, I went to India over... I said, I need to go to India. I've been teaching yoga for a few years. I've fallen in love with bhakti. There's not so much bhakti here. Um, I had met my guru in that time as well um, through Ram Das and through Krishna Das and through Bhagavan Das. Like Ram Das, Ram Das? Ram Das, like meaning um, Richard Alpert. Yeah, Richard Alpert, yeah, yeah. Dr. Richard Alpert. Yeah, so, Richard, wow. so Ram Das was like my, really my first bhakti teacher you know a friend gave me a tape of his and 
I listened to this tape and it just, the words he was saying were everything I felt inside of myself, but I have never been able to enunciate or articulate or articulate it or never ever never even knew a language existed for it really the language of the soul essentially and i guess we can we can rewind a bit as well too as you know what opened me up in college was psychedelics you know i mm-hmm. um mushrooms you know lsd and that's where i first was Given where a glimpse. One, well, given a glimpse where oneness, interconnectedness, the the living spirit, I felt the living spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, a glimpse of, of, of God consciousness, whatever, however you want to describe it, you know. As I, I believe so many people have come to spiritual practice through that. Yeah, I listened to Ram Dass' dissertation on the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. And one of the best. The most amazing eighteen hours yeah. of listening that yeah. I've ever experienced. It's and incredible. to this day I still listen to it when I'm, you know, on a long car ride. I still have it in my car too. Oh my goodness. Really it's absolutely I'm gonna share it with the Yoga yeah. Revealed podcast listeners oh, because it's that good. We're gonna have a link in in your uh, oh, write up for the Yoga Revealed podcast so that we'll share that with everyone. Yes. Because it is invaluable information like the way that he explains the that true union yeah he's a and, wordsmith he's, oh. he's a wordsmith he's never have i met anybody that can deliver words and uh, poetic humorous mm-hmm. um you know and clear way definitely so he was really ramdas opened me up to a whole nother world i was practicing physical yoga i was teaching physical yoga i came across ramdas everything changed i was introduced to ramdas's guru neem Karoli baba and mm. maharaji came to me in a dream once and in the dream i was sitting at his feet and he was patting me on the head and i was just wailing in tears and i woke up from the dream with wailing in tears and I felt like I had found home mm. you know and so I had learned who Maharaji was who Neem Karoli Baba was this great guru Siddha great guru who passed away in 1970 uh, 1973 I believe it was September 11 1973 but he's still working through people you know through dreams, through, you know, people are meeting him through meditations and that, you know, every so often you come across a being in your life and your whole life changes directions. And that's what happened when I, one, met Ramdas and everybody was so turned on to Ramdas, but Ramdas was saying, it's not me, it's Maharaj. If you like what I'm saying, it's not me, it's just Maharaji that's coming through me. It's Neem Kroli Baba coming through me. And same thing with Krishna Das. You know, everybody's falling in love with his chanting. Krishna Das saying, it's not me. It's just he's pointing. Everybody was pointing to this old man in the blanket. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to me is that I was getting, you know, really close to Ram Das, Krishna Das, Bhagavan Das and their teachings. And they were all pointing to Maharaji. And this dream happened. And, and it was like, oh, wow. That's what I've been searching for. I found home in this wild, crazy world of yoga. Mm-hmm. I found home. It's, you know, there's so much and I don't really have to search anymore because it was like in a moment I came out of that dream. I found my guru, my teacher, however you want to describe it. And as I started, you know, reading his teachings and he's a really interesting guru because he embodied bhakti, you know, he embodied devotion. He wasn't a teacher that, you know, gave long dissertations or long talks or, you know, made people do certain breathing practices. He just was a presence of love hmm. and still is a presence, like Christ, you know, like Christ has been passed away for 2,000 years, but his presence of love has touched billions of people since he's been left his body billions of more people when he left his body than when he was in a body same thing that's happening with neem Kroli bama you know so his presence is very alive and it really shifted my whole perception of yoga 
because I was doing yoga and I was reading all of the traditional philosophies and and this is this is a really pivotal point in my own journey because you know I I subtly was feeling this yoga as a linear thing you know I was practicing ashtanga and it was like finish the first series get to the second series. so the th so it was always about getting to that next, next place, place or that how do we raise the kundalini and you know doing practice I was doing a little kundalini or you do practices to raise the kundalini and I came across Maharaji's teachings and I was really the heart the bhakti had just taken over and and you know his devotees asked him you know late 60s early 70s when the westerners went to India and they said you know, Maharaji, how do we get enlightened? And he said, you get enlightened through loving everybody, through serving everybody, and through remembering God. Not through doing a warrior two really good, you know. He said, they said, how do we raise our kundalini? Maharaji said, feed people. Feed people? You mean I don't have to, you know, go, you know, like do no, crazy, no crazy practice. I, I, it's not, fire? It's not a lifting it ourselves. We can't do that. Mm -hmm. In the Bhakti Narada Sutra, the second verses, or 42nd verses, cultivate grace alone. Cultivate grace alone. Meaning, you can't make yourself advance on a spiritual path. Only grace does that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's only when the, the flower is perfectly ready does it bloom. You know, it doesn't happen through our own effort. Our own effort is the f making the soil fertile. But it's only through grace that when that magic happens. Mm -hmm. You know, they, Maharaji said, or they, they said, how do we meditate? He says, meditate like Christ meditated. Lose yourself in love. And then they saw a tear started rolling down his face. So this bhakti philosophy is very unique, you know, it's very different than Patanjali's yoga philosophy is one of my teachers, Shamdas, always made the kind of shared the, the how different, different. The, 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 the bhakti philosophy is to the traditional yoga philosophy. And it, it just really felt right with me. And I think maybe because I was such a competitive athlete as a child and had all of these deep seeds of competitiveness within me, it didn't feel right to bring that into my asana and it felt like it, this isn't yoga for me. This isn't what my yoga is. And then I was, these teachings were revealed to me and it, oh, it made real sense that mm -hmm. it's not really so much about the asana. It's not about the form. It's about, it's about the love. That's really what it's about. And that's, you know, that really just turned me a whole, whole, new direction within it and that's really where I started really dedicating myself and deepening my studies of bhakti now bhakti is interesting because it's not really associated with asana it's really kept separate mm -hmm. than asana it's really about worship and puja and prayer and and mantra and chanting and kirtan you know and these types of things um, but my feeling was Asana is such an embodied bhakti practice. It's worship through the body. Mm -hmm. And this is our temple. And this we is our temple. bring the puja to our temple right. and let ourselves be uh, an example or give ourselves as an offering, yes. then we can have a mindful movement that is a bhakti. It, it is an expression. It is a devotional expression for sure. You know, I mean, to me, there's not a doubt. Now, this, I've, I've never, in all of my studies, never really seen too much merging of that philosophy. So I've kind of taken it 
as one of my main dharmas or missions within the world of yoga is to somehow practice integrating that together mm-hmm. as one and um, yeah so that's been a real big part of my my journey is, is bringing the bhakti into the asana and, and expressing that and sharing that and teaching that you know so it's not because when we bring bhakti into anything it becomes juicy mm-hmm. it becomes moist it becomes sweet it becomes fluid it becomes you know a prayer Comes an expression of that love that is who we are. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, and you know, I fell in love with the kirtan. I went to India in 1999. My first trip to India, I stayed in my guru's ashram uh, for three months, just journeyed around. Was there for the Y2K. Came back after I bought a harmonium, and. On the airplane back to America, my harmonium got crushed, you know, by British Airways. Oh, so, my goodness. Yeah, so, but they gave me money. I bought and found another harmonium. I started studying with a Hare Krishna named Kakudmi Das at the temple on, uh, off Venice Boulevard, Watseka, and started learning some chants. I had some personal time with Krishna Das. He taught me a couple chants, and, and that was really the birth of, you know my kirtan practice and now that's a a huge huge part of my life and practice is is chanting and Mm -hmm. leading chanting events as well too and now you have your own studio right here in santa monica and the bhakti yoga shala you know brings i would say what thousands of people in every single week Tens well, of thousands, maybe? Tens of thousands. It's a small studio. I mean, hundreds. Hundreds. You know, hundreds. But every every class that I've been to yeah. has been packed yeah. full of really beautiful people. Yeah, it's a beautiful community. And that's the... And I'll backtrack a little bit. I was teaching at Brian's studio, and again, forever in gratitude to him, just for what the space he opened for me. And But I a, as I was stepping deeper and deeper into it, I felt like there was a... Uh, kind of a some kind of fissure I, I was bringing my harmonium and enchanting with people and this was a power yoga studio and, wow and i was really f- feeling the bhakti and teaching bhakti and i was teaching strong classes you know sweaty strong classes but the philosophy was um i was really you know turned in that direction and and i had just felt like man i really would love to open up a studio that's dedicated to bhakti and where we can really use that as our focus and and people know that's what they're going to get yeah, when yeah. they walk in. And and so we looked for a space. We found an amazing space that my wife, Radha, she uh, used to dance at. It used to be a dance studio. And I would pick her up and I'm like, God, this would be a really cool studio. And like mm-hmm. a few months later, there was a Furley side in there. And that <laughs> became our studio. And we went and talked to Brian about it. And it was only a block away, you know, and, and but he gave us his blessings and and uh, and so we opened the studio and and that was two thousand nine and here we are June two thousand nine, here we are, just a month away. It'll be seven years coming up. Congratulations. And thank you in June that we'll be open. So and it's been incredible. It's been an incredible journey and <laughs> so much magic has gone down in those walls, you know, and I always say this it's like i walk in one person and i walk out a better person you know mm-hmm. i think that's probably safe to say with pretty much all all yoga, yoga. <laughs> definitely <laughs> so yeah man what a, what a journey it's been and continues to be definitely it's so beautiful to see the joy on your face when talking about it oh thank you it's man. absolutely beautiful yeah. and i i can feel your heart in what you do and your devotion to sharing bhakti mm-hmm. from the truth of, you. of your experience Thank you. and i feel that um when it comes to sharing yoga there's no better yoga to share than the yoga from the heart mm-hmm. that's for sure that's mm-hmm. for sure that's for sure and, and you know bhakti is present in all yoga whether you call it bhakti or not you know if if you're you just get to your mat there is devotion in that act you know what i mean there is devotion so, you know bhakti is is a part of it all mm-hmm. yeah. 
So now that you have this amazing studio and you're cultivating this space for people to have an experience of devotional practice, yeah. what do you feel is uh, the next step for you? And in, in, are you doing teacher trainings yeah. in bhakti yoga? Are, are there... Um, you know, different types of programs that you're going to do. Cause I know that you're traveling around. I'm going to see you at Hanuman festival yeah, yeah. teaching. So I'm really excited for that coming up. Yes. Yeah, so I lead teacher trainings. We do a yearly teacher training at, at, at our studio. You know, I teach at a lot of other teacher trainings that bring me in to teach a bhakti segment. You know, I lead kirtan trainings, which we're currently in right now, like a 50-hour kirtan training where I teach people how to play kirtan instruments, harmoniums, cymbals, drums, and the whole art of devotional chanting. And it's a really amazing, amazing training, and we're, this weekend is our last weekend of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm a musician, so, you know, we, we me and my wife and... You know, we make kirtan CDs, and we just, you know, released our fifth kirtan CD. That was uh, what's on, it called? It's called Lunar Mantras. Lunar Mantras. And it was number one on the iTunes or number two on the iTunes World Music Chart for the first couple weeks that it came out. Congratulations! Ago. Thank you. We'll be Thank sure you. to share that with the Yoga Revealed podcast Thank listeners you. as well. Thank That'll you. be in the show notes. And this was a really amazing journey this particular cd because we the first four cds were very much traditional kirtan and this one we brought in an electronic element to it you know i've always loved real down tempo ambient electronic music still with beats you know but just very chill and uh so it was a real fusing of two loves and passions mantra and electronic music so Mm. it was really just designed I I don't know I've taught somewhere around 20,000 yoga classes and you know the last however many years I've been teaching I was like I've listened to so much yoga music let's put together a CD that's just designed for a yoga class Mm. so that was really the intention behind it and it's it's just it's got the vibe for yoga in kind of our modern um way of yoga i'm excited to listen to it cool i'll get you a copy for sure and uh so that you know we we do a lot of festivals we got shakti fest coming up in a couple weeks Uh, the hanuman festival i'll be going to bhakti fest midwest uh be going out to bulgaria for the uh, udaya festival bhakti fest coming up in september you know i lead retreats a few retreats every year I just got back from Bali leading a retreat. You know, I take a group of people to India every fall mm-hmm. uh, to really tap into the roots of where this all comes from. So, and I got two little babies, you know. I got a five-year-old <laughs> boy and a, a one-year-old baby girl. So that's like a full family life, you know. It's like, it's, it's amazing, you know, how to... And I think this is like... It's the, this is really it. It's like, okay, all of these, these amazing things that come from being on our mats and sitting on our cushions and chanting our mantras. And, but, you know, it's all, always about what we do with it and, and, and bringing it into our lives and integrating it into our personalities and bringing it into our families. And, um, and that's like the number one thing. It doesn't do any good if it just... You know, you get off your yoga mat and then you're just a complete jerk to everybody <laughs> else. You know what I mean? It doesn't zero. Yeah. So really allowing the yoga practice to cultivate the real life experience yeah. of bringing that same love into every action that every you do. Every action, whether it's, whether it's preparing food or making love or, you know, writing emails or whatever it is, you know. Uh, so... Well, live it, live it, be it. The truth, yeah, the truth indeed. (laughs) Be it. Uh, Well, I always leave our yoga revealed listeners with three nuggets of wisdom. So, if there's three things that you can leave with our listeners to help them upon their journey, what would they be? You know, I think one is is 
And, you know, I grew up Jewish, so I don't know so much of the Christian teachings, but I do know that Jesus said something to the extent that the kingdom of heaven lives within your own heart. And that's like the most yogic, precious gem, jewel gift that, you know, if we practice that, it all, life blossoms, you know, that uh, Swami Ramdas, he's a, he, not Ramdas, but a different Swami Ramdas, Southern India, he, you know, he says, forget not the central truth, forget not the central truth that God lives within your own heart, you know, and we spend so much of our time looking, especially in our modern Western culture, looking outside of ourselves for happiness, for joy, for love, for success, for, you know, approval. And it's like, it makes us crazy. You know, it's like a, it's like a dog chasing its own tail around and around and around and around and never actually catches its own tail when we look outside of ourselves for the answers. And the, the yogic prescription is always look inside of your own heart. You know, the infinite lives within. All possibility lives within us. As far as we can look out into the universe, on a clear night, we can look in even further. It's infinite. It's vastly infinite. And at least from the, the bhakti traditions, the teaching is that there is an endless supply of love in our hearts, you know, that comes from God, whatever you want to call God. God love, Jesus, Allah, Adonai, Ram, Krishna, beloved Durga, you know, so many names, many names, but just one. And, you know, with that love that lives within, we find this great power, this great power to heal what needs to be healed within ourselves, to transform whatever's out of balance in our lives, and really to co-create with the, with the source whatever our, our greatest dreams and visions of here on this planet. We have that power within, you know, God's power lives within us. We have a, a drop of that nectar. And when we start to tap into that, man, we, 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 we step, we can really step into our own personal journey of, of co-creation, manifestation, joy, bliss, you know, love, and live a life beyond what we ever even thought was possible. Because we so commonly, we limit, you know, we have these self-limiting beliefs that keep us down. And we start, you know, living from our spirit, living from our heart, living from our soul. Man, what a, what a wave to ride. So that would be one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a long one. So give us the, the second nugget of gold. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, I think this the second nugget is, is, is humility, you know. I really feel like... We just, we have to keep our ego in check, you know, and that's, that's, that's deep, deep work, you know, it's like, we think of yoga as this feel-good thing, you know, and, and it certainly is, and it is an incredible celebration of the beauty and love that we are, yet at the same exact time, it is deep, deep inner work, literally turning ourselves inside out and you know some traditions they talk about like abolishing the ego and you know I don't necessarily think that's what it's about it's it's more about integrating the ego in a healthy way into our lives yet you know the ego always wants to manipulate everything and everyone and and like it expresses it's so tricky and it expresses itself in so many different ways and so we have to really really embody this 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 teaching that the patanjali gives us of svadhyaya you know this self observation mm -hmm. you know cuz nobody's going to do that for us we got to do it ourselves we got to keep ourselves in check and be relentless in our self observation and you know not let the ego be the, the guiding force of our life. You know, Ramakrishna, he said it amazing. He said, 
he was an incredible saint, Ramakrishna. He says, the mind is a terrible master, but a wonderful servant. Mm. So it's like, use the mind to serve the heart. Mm. Use the mind to serve the soul. Use the mind, the intellect to serve the love. Don't lead from the mind. Don't lead from the ego. Don't, you know, it's a powerful instrument, but make sure you, we use it in the right way to serve the love, live from the love. And uh, the, that sense of humility that comes from bhakti practices, meaning the recognition is that we're not doing this, you know. We're just, yes, we have a drop of that divine nectar within us, but we're not in control. I mean, we have a little bit of control over what we have control over, but most of it is so out of our hands. You know, we don't know. Nothing in life is guaranteed. We don't know where our next breath will take us. We don't know when our last breath will come. You know, so when we get that, when we really get that, that there's this all-powerful force that's breathing through us, that's keeping our heart beating, that's keeping the blood flowing, and we have no idea how long that's going to last for. Whoa, is that humbling. Mm -hmm. You know? And Bhakti Yoga's enlightenment is measured really by humility. You know? We, sometimes we think of enlightenment as these, as the, this great exalted state, you know? And, and I go to India... And I go specifically just to go sit with these these enlightened, we call it whatever you want, these great yogis, babas, swamis, whatever. And the one thing that you always see is this great sense of humility. You know, it's, it's taught me so much. And, um, you know, we, we live in a world that's about stroking the ego. You know, I mean, we live in Los Angeles, maybe the <laughs> ego capital of the world, right? It's like, you know, so... There's, a, there's another way, and I think it's really clear. When we live from our egos, we, we feel so bounded. We feel like we're in a cage, you know? Yet when we live from our hearts, our spirit, we feel boundless. We feel free. We feel in love with life. So keep the ego in check relentlessly, you know? Practice humility always. And, you know, the third... Is I think that the importance of doing a practice, a regular practice, this is what we have. This is the gift that we've been given. Whether our whether our our practice is again getting on the mat every day, whether our practice is sitting on the zafu every day, whether our practice is going and feeding the homeless, whether our practices writing in a spiritually writing in a journal whether our practice is sitting with a harmonium whether our practice is you know offering light and incense and fruit and to a you know a, a form of the divine puja what the practices are many you know and whether it's an integration of all of these practices that we use having a practice in our life helps us to step back from our busy worldliness mm -hmm. see the big picture and see the big picture and and where we're tied up in knots you know and Ramdas, we were talking about Ramdas. one of my favorite quotes of his he says may my life be a statement of love and compassion and where it is not that's where my work lies mm. right so Having a practice helps us to pull back, get some perspective, and actually see and feel where we're locked up, where we're not living our life as a statement of love and compassion. And then we have some space from our relationships, from our making the food for the kids, for school, for, you know, trying to make money to pay our bills. Having a practice, like a, it's like a, an opportunity to take refuge in, in that vast, infinite spaciousness of our being where everything flows from and, and it's like when we when we lean back into that again whether it's through doing asanas or through whatever it is our practice is 
we can begin to see things clearly and, and intuitively touch the guidance that comes from the sweet beyond as to how to readjust our lives and untie the places, the knots, and, and live more compassionately and harmoniously within our worlds and within our lives. So. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you for those three very potent nuggets oh, of wisdom. Absolutely, man. I'm just speaking to myself. Oh, <laughs> only reflections. Only reflections. <laughs> you know, people come up after class, you know, you said this, you said that, you said that. Yes, but, you know, I'm, I'm just talking to myself because I need to hear it the most. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I think about that. You know, why I've had to dedicate myself so deeply to these practices is because this this my tendencies towards our anxiety and fear and worry and doubt you know i come from a long lineage of jewish warriors mm -hmm. not warriors warriors, warriors. <laughs> <laughs> and that i think is why the bhakti has worked for me so well is because it's centrally about cultivating faith mm -hmm. faith and in, in uh, the divine design, faith in a cosmic order, that there really are no mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, that faith is something that we can actually live with. And it's not a word that we like to hear so much in, in our Western world, faith. You know, it sounds so religious. And, yeah. But it's like the, 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 the pole star, essentially, that all spiritual life has to revolve around. Faith. Yeah, faith. Whether you call it faith in yourself, higher self, or faith in God, or, you know, again, whatever name you use, it doesn't matter. But something that's bigger than this ego, something that is of infinite divine nature. Mm -hmm. And when we have that faith, man, it's like Ramdas, he says, fear and faith cannot coexist together. They can't be together at the same time. If you have faith, you can't have any fear because you are anchored into that trusting of the universe and every moment of the universe if you have fear you you don't have faith you know so that's been a big big healing part of my life is the practice of cultivating faith and it is a practice it is something in bhakti that we that we practice cultivating that it is all all of it all of it is the will of Krishna, the will of God, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty neat perceptual shift to live life that, you know, even when really, really challenging things come our way, as they do, that this is the will of God and I'm going to work with it. Just like in an asana, when the teacher calls out a really challenging asana, I'm just going to work with it as consciously and intentionally as lovingly as i can mm -hmm. just like life you know it's the truth yeah <laughs> well the yoga revealed podcast listeners are absolutely thankful for your light today you. in revealing your path and teaching us of bhakti yoga mm -hmm. and i am very very thankful for your time this morning Oh, thank you, Andrew. It's a real blessing to be here, and you're an inspiration to all of us. So wow. Thank you, man. You're a beautiful, beautiful being. Thank you. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast with Govindas. Make sure to check out bhaktiyogashala.com for more info on Govindas and his upcoming classes, travel schedule, and amazing teachings worldwide. For a taste of his immense musical talent, check out his new Kirtan CD entitled Lunar Mantras with his wife Radha. Yoga Revealers, it's the month of May and that means that the festival season is heating up. You can catch Alec and I at Hanuman Festival from June 9th to the 12th. Stay tuned for details on our upcoming book club that will be launching this month, along with other awesome content and resources by logging on to yogarevealed.com. Yoga Revealers, we are so thankful for your encouragement and support.
you are making this community a thriving atmosphere for all of us to uplift one another. Catch us at yogareveal.com and sign up for our newsletter if you haven't already so that we can keep you updated with all the latest and greatest in yoga today. Blessings and namaste. Peace, yogis. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.